Hello, and welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Each week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, and today, Fred manages a trip back to Sheffield to headhunt staff for his new works, and of course, he makes time to see Janie. So Fred has only been in his new job in Middlesbrough for two weeks when he's tasked by Dr Cooper to help build up the clerical team for the North Eastern Steel Company. In this next letter, I think it's rather charming to see Fred flourishing under Dr Cooper's mentorship and to see him relishing the respect and responsibility that he's been given. 21 Church Street, Middlesbrough, November the 24th, 1881. My darling Janie, I felt very disappointed this morning on not receiving news from you, but as I received a letter from home, that helped towards soothing me. I expect I shall receive one tomorrow morning, or else I shall feel something is the matter. I am going on very well here. In fact, too well. I have too much to do. It was half past eight tonight when I finished. I should not have been so late, but I couldn't balance the money. I had a shilling too much. It must have been for a telegram that I paid for myself and not accounted for. Already I have paid away over £1,200. Not so bad for three weeks, is it? Mr Cooper said today that he could see I had too much to do and that I was to engage someone. He said that he would leave that to me as he would be under me. So I have written for Tom Alvey to come up from Brown Bailey and Dixon. He works with Tommy Hughes and have also written to Tommy to help him in any way if he can. I shall give him 32 or 33 shillings and that isn't bad for a young fellow of 21 years old. Mr Cooper said yesterday that he should give me the entire charge of the clerks and that the only one above me would be the secretary who commences next July and who will be at the exchange, while I will be at the works, or as Mr Cooper put it, his right-hand man. From that I should suppose that so far I have given satisfaction. He also said that I was to be the North Eastern Steel Company's Mr Robinson, shades of Dickey. I have proffered Tom Alvey that he shall have charge of the invoicing, and I think he will be making a mistake if he does not accept the offer. Of course, I am sorry to inconvenience Brown, Bailey and Dixon, but then sorrow does not take part in business. I have requested him to write to me tomorrow, and then I can telegraph to him on Saturday morning to give his notice in. I may possibly have to come over to Sheffield on Saturday, but I cannot promise that until Saturday morning, and then it will be too late to write. However, if you see me at your house on Saturday night, you will know that I have come. I think I will close tonight and wait for yours tomorrow morning. I wish I was with you, love. I feel quite hopeful for the future, my darling, after what Mr Cooper said today, as I expect that we shall be pretty comfortably off. It ought to be worth £300 in time. Friday, November the 25th, 81. I received your welcome letter, but sorry to hear so bad account of your Emma. You must understand, I shouldn't blame Mr Walker if he did break it off. I haven't time to write any more. I shall be at Darnall by half past seven tomorrow night. Fred. I'm so proud of Fred. He seems slightly startled by all this responsibility, but nevertheless sets to it with a will. 
Of course, we now have the frustration of an information blackout during his visit back to Sheffield, as obviously the letters cease while they are together. The challenge of working out what might have come to pass takes some reading between the lines of his and Janie's conversations in the letters that follow. However, in the meantime, we have a letter from dear old Fred Johnson, who is coming to the end of his teacher training education. He starts the letter off in something of a snit about our Fred's letter writing frequency. Scrawled in the corner, it reads, Shall expect an answer before I leave here for home, December 17. Cullum College, Oxford, November 27, 1881. Dear Fred, I don't see how you could possibly expect a letter from me first. I have been looking for one from you, giving a little reason for your now disappearance during the last two or three weeks of midsummer holidays, but none coming. I did not think it was my place to write so clean a cut. Won't say more on the matter. You will know all I wish to say from my last remark. Must say it rather strange you could manage without letting a fellow have a single line for so long. I'm delighted to hear that you are so comfortably fixed. Imagine you will be a big pot, rather. Hope you will continue so. Should fancy it will be soon be a case of your attaining your highest wishes. Give a fellow good warning when the event is to come off. Your leaving Brown Bailey and Dixon's would be quite a blow to Robinson, but he cannot expect you to stay under such circumstances. Tis a jolly good screw. Hope when the works are finished you will make it more. Glad you have got such lodgings. Suppose you'll be playing with red car at football if it is so near. Glad Attercliffe beat them in the tie. Should like our lot to get the cup this year. Understand from Ted that the fellows are awfully sorry you have left them. I had hopes of playing with them, but I shall only have about a fortnight's holiday before taking charge of a school in Sussex, to which I have been appointed as master this last week. Do wish you could have played against Barks and Bucks above all the others, and I wish Sheffield had won instead of making a tie as they did. We played a club from Reading on that day, but beat them easily, 7-0, to nil, as a back was away and two others were playing with Barks and Bucks. Next Wednesday, we play Battersea College, London, here. I expect a very tight match indeed. Hope to win, though. We have not lost a match this year and only two draws, 1-1 to and 0-0. to Later, in return, we beat 4-1. to Seems they think a good deal of you at Brown, Bailey and Dixon, or they would not given you such fine presents. They will be something to look back upon and worth keeping. Who is it Charlesworth has married? Have never heard a word about him ever since I have been here. Suppose Ted will have the ceremony, like yourself, performed as soon as possible. I have heard from him twice, last time from Lincoln, the day after Attercliffe had played Redcar. I never thought for a moment that he would stay in the quarter he has. He is finally settled, seemingly. I am the black sheep of the three, but suppose I shall find the one some time or other. Now I am leaving this place, December 17th. Perhaps I shall find the fair one down in Sussex near my school. Last Tuesday, the principal asked me if I should care to have a school in the country. Of course, I didn't if it were worth anything. The vicar of St James's, Holtham, Pulborough, Sussex, wrote him for a master. He replied recommending me, and in such strong terms, I suppose that the vicar wrote by return post accepting me. On Friday dinner time, I received official appointment from him. Tis a long way from home, but I can put up with that until I've got my parchment. The place is about 12 miles southwest of Horsham and 20 miles northwest of Brighton. There is a furnished house to live in, a widow of 36 acting as housekeeper. The house forms part of the salary, the other depends on examination results. 
Altogether, the place is worth from £115 to £120 a year. Not so bad to begin with, but hope to materially improve this when I have been there two years. Must conclude now and go into tea. Kindly remember me to Janie, who I hope is quite well, and also your mother and Arthur, with every good wish for your success. I am your most sincere friend, Fred. I won't put the Mr F. Shepherd. I think we can dispense with the formalities. As I've mentioned before, working out the subtleties of class structures for Fred and Janie proves a challenge, but I found a fascinating passage regarding school teachers and others. In Robert Roberts' book, The Classic Slum, it reads, Shopkeepers, publicans and skilled tradesmen occupied the premier positions, each family having its own sphere of influence. A few of these so-called aristocrats had aspirations. From their ranks, the lower middle class, then clearly defined, drew most of its recruits, clerks, and in particular, school teachers. Reflecting on Fred Johnson's hopes for his financial prospects, and our Fred's predictions for how large his salary could grow, I'm starting to paint a picture in my mind that Fred and his social circle are striving hard to achieve some upward social mobility. Anyway, back in Middlesbrough, our Fred writes about his journey home, and it looks as if Janie and Fred made the absolute most of his visit, judging by his comments, and then Janie's in the letter after. I don't think they got much sleep. Royal Exchange, Middlesbrough, the North Eastern Steel Company Limited, November 28th, 1881. My darling Janie, I arrived all safe at Middlesbrough at 2.45pm. I had on the whole a pleasant journey as the hour and 20 minutes I had to wait at York enabled me to see the Minster again and to look around the town. The weather was very variable when I got to York. It was very cold. When I left, it was scorching hot and as soon as I got well away from it, the rain came down in torrents. I found two letters waiting for me, one from Ted, in which he says he understands Annie Johnson was married last Wednesday, and also by this I have an idea of how he feels when he says, it is awful to want to see her and know that you cannot do so. The other letter was from Hagen, in which he says Mr Robinson has inquired for my address and of my general comfort, so that I am not quite forgotten even by him. Hagen also inquires if I ever waste despair now or linger at the foot of the blue Alsatian mountains. So much for them. Now for yourself. I hope you got home all right, love, and that the awful wrath of your mother was not visited upon your head and that your Emma is better so as to be some use. I also hope that our mutual efforts last night have not knocked you up, my darling. You will let me know as soon as the month is up so that I may be reassured because when I came to think about it not coming the last time, I began to fear that the reason it did not was because the previous time had stopped it. If so, it is a bad job for us. But of that, of course, you will have a better idea than I. Hope you will let me know. I feel rather down now. I wish I could have brought you with me, my darling. I feel sure that we would be happy, and I'm sure I should be comfortable, as you gave me further proof of your thoughtfulness this morning, which I believe, my darling, I was deeply grateful though I didn't say anything about it. I saw several things in York that I fancied you would like. I think I shall bring a set of medallions for when I come at Christmas, if it is agreeable to you, and if you think they would be suitable for our home. They are about the size of this paper, 
One was an outside view of the Minster, the other inside view of it, and the other a view of part of the town. It looked beautiful this morning as the recent rain had washed the causeways quite clean. I saw some of the trees that had been blown down by the gale and acres of land flooded. It is very flat past York. I forgot to tell you to congratulate our new married couple on the consummation of the happiness. With respect to the present, you can do just as you think proper because it will be right if you do it. With respect to the wish of your mother that I should endeavour to find a situation for John, at present the only thing that is open would be timekeeper at 25 shillings, which I don't suppose he would care for, though it might lead to something better afterwards. That is the job I mentioned to you, which I had thought for our Arthur, excepting for the relationship. My darling, I do so long for you, love, with all my heart. In fact, I feel as though I had really left a part of myself behind. Trusting that you will be quite well, love, I remain, as I always shall remain, yours devotedly, lovingly, truly, faithfully and husbandly, Fred. I think the couple that Fred is congratulating must be John Cross and Lucy Ellen. Um, you might remember that Janie was making her wedding dress. Jane's reply to Fred's letter talks about Emma trying to get her into trouble with their mother Maria. I'm getting a sense that Maria is deliberately turning a blind eye to Janie's somewhat racy behaviour. My mother does this exact thing when someone else is stirring. She just ignores them and it speaks volumes. Hansworth, November the 27th, 1881. My darling Fred, I am very glad you got there all right. I wish I could have gone with you. I caught the 1040 train to Attercliffe, so got home in pretty good time. I should like to have called to see your mother, but dare not stop. I might have done had I known that my mother would not say anything. She did not say a word about me going off without telling her beforehand. Our Emma tried to bring it up several times, but with no effect. She was so vexed because she could not get on with it. They killed the pig yesterday. It weighs 21 stones without the inside fat, so yours will weigh about 19 stones, I should think. I was rather surprised at Ted's news. I did not think Annie's wedding was coming off so soon. You see, Mr Robinson thinks more of you than you gave him credit for. He is perhaps going to leave you a thousand pounds in his will by wanting to know your address. Our Emma is a good deal better and of some little use, if only to grumble. Better in health than temper, I am sorry to say. Sunday night did knock me up, love. I did feel tired and I had to go down to Darnall on Monday afternoon to meet Carrie to see about the piano and a few more things coming up here. We've got it in our room now. It rather disturbs the arrangement, but we must put up with that for a while. I wish we could relieve them of our piano. It would leave more room for the other things, but I want it doing up first after I get back from there. Louisa, Lavrak and Annie called in and wanted me to go over the bridge with Louisa, so you may guess, love, how tired I was. I fell asleep in the chair about ten and slept until eleven and then went to bed. I do not love you any less, my darling, for helping to make me so tired. You are more to me now than you ever were before. You must not get downhearted about it, love. We will wait until the month is over and then begin to trouble about it. I think I shall be all right. I don't feel very much afraid. I should be very pleased with the medallions at Christmas. I think they will be very nice for our home. It will be nice to be together always, won't it, love? 
Only you do grumble a bit, you know, but I don't think I shall let you. When I see the fit coming on, I shall just kiss it off. But, my darling, if it is possible for me to make you comfortable, you shall be. And I think if I can't, nobody else can. I saw Carrie yesterday. I do feel sorry for her. She looks quite bowed down with trouble. When I think of that man and woman, I know how I feel. I feel as if I should like to go and push them both overboard. Carrie had a letter from Harry yesterday, from Plymouth. He says that they have all been very sick and ill, and poor Annie was not able to write to them. They sailed again at nine o'clock last night, and Mrs B had to check in to send her love to Carrie. Fancy that, that there could be some love between them. About the present. I think if I was to get those ornaments from Mrs Allen's, they would be very nice, that I spoke about to you. I should think they will be walking over to see me before too long. I have not spoken to Mother about that situation. I thought I would write to you first to see if you would mind. The relationship would amount to very near the same, only you would be my brother instead of yours, love. I wish he could get into something so that he could take Carrie very soon. She needs a comfortable home, poor girl. If you do not mind, I will mention it to him and see what he says. I remain your ever-loving wife. Janie. I've looked on the passenger lists of ships arriving in Australia from Plymouth for the Higgs, and I've not found them yet. For whatever reason, Janie's friend Carrie has remained in Sheffield, while a large chunk of her family have now embarked on the long and difficult voyage halfway around the world. During the 1870s and 80s, Australia was enjoying an economic boom, unlike England still in the grip of a long recession, the brunt of which being endured in industrial cities like Sheffield. So the move to Australia would have offered the hope of a more prosperous life. However, the voyage was not something to be undertaken lightly. Although now shortened by the opening of the Suez Canal, it would still have taken about 80 days in cramped and unsanitary conditions. To hear that her younger brother and sister were already suffering from ill health this early into the journey would have surely been a deep worry for Carrie, never mind the fact that she was almost certainly parted from them forever. It must have felt like they had been taken away to Mars. This letter of Janie also finally matches up her brother John with Carrie, so it would appear that John and Carrie are seeing each other, possibly even engaged. I wonder if that's why Carrie stayed behind. Janie obviously still thinks it's worthwhile for Fred to consider John in the timekeeper role in the new works up in Middlesbrough, even if it is only 25 shillings a week. It's rather interesting that Janie and Fred seem to be hoping that they might be able to shift a number of their family and friends to join them up in Middlesbrough. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening to my love letter time machine. Next time, we reflect on how Fred and his male friends all seem to be rather desperate to be married, and how, as a group of men, they all seem quite comfortable sharing their feelings. In the meantime, perhaps you could show the podcast some love by clicking on the ratings, leaving a review, or sharing it with someone who you think might enjoy it. And if you'd like to write to me, you can at myloveletertimemachine at gmail.com. Until next time. Take care.